the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 30, recorded Friday, February 24th, 2012. ESPN Canada. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. This is AV Week. AV. AV Week. It's time for AV Week, the weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. I'm your host, Tim Albright. Uh, with us this week is Brad Grimes. He's the senior editor at Infocom. Hello, sir. How are you doing? It's good to have good to be here. Good, uh, and also Matt Scott from Omega Audio Video. He is the owner operator of said establishment. Hello, how are you guys doing? Good. Uh, this week on on uh, AV Week, we're going to talk about Samsung uh, spinning off the, uh, their LCD market and embracing completely finally OLED. Um, a blog post about projectors becoming a niche market. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, a uh, blog post actually from, from Brad Grimes about the future of the AV integrator and a little dust up um, across the pond and, and with some folks over here uh, over ISE and, and, and coverage and we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, but first, uh, a little bit of exciting breaking news. Um, if you follow Twitter and, and the whole Twitterverse and blogs uh, in the AV world, uh, if, you, if you're on Twitter and you don't know about it, if you, if you search for the hashtag AVTweeps, A-V-T-W-E-E-P-S. You'll get all kinds of information, uh, including breaking news like this. Uh, It came down a couple days ago that Savant purchased Light Touch. And uh, if you're not familiar with Savant or Light Touch, Savant is an Apple-based control uh, program. Uh, It uses, actually, it uses a a Mac for its brains. It's, it's, you know, for in the world of of Crestron, it would be a, a Pro 2 in the world of of, uh, of Extron, it would be one of their control processors. Well, they for th- for their control processor, they use an actual Mac. And something that they've looked at, and, and apparently their dealers have asked them for for a while, is, is an integrated lighting control. Um, Matt, you are a Lutron guy. So, um, yes, I am. So, so this Proudly. is... Proudly. Is this the equivalent <laughs> of... Extron, okay, because they don't really have a, a, a lighting um, protocol. Is this the equivalent of, of, of Extron purchasing Lutron? Um, I, is that I is it that big? Yeah, t- kind of. It is in the sense that they were they're kind of the other big player in the automation market that did not have a lighting control, um, you know, complete package. It was something where dealers were using alternate lighting control products and just integrating it, which, again, is fine and works very well. Um, and we always do it with our Lutron stuff, and we recommend it. <laughs> but, uh, no, it it would be kind of deemed that big. The The difference, I would say, is that, one, nobody's going to buy Lutron anytime soon. Um, they're definitely a standalone company and doing very well at it. 
the the biggest thing to me with this is just that uh you know it it'll be a good fit for them to now have a complete package so that dealers who are savant dealers can go in and do just an you know a whole in installation and a whole control system without necessarily having to bring in a bunch of extra control parts to finish that hmm. brad we we talked with uh, we have a, a daily show with with Gary Kay and he said that this puts Savant up there with Crestron and Extron and AMX as a, a big player in in the control uh, in the control market. Is that accurate, or is it still just you know what they still they're, they're running on Max for crying out loud? Not to disparage them, but but you know it, are they now um, in 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 the same company as the big boys? Uh, well, they they definitely want to be, and uh, their technology is actually very good. And uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to, you know, to have lighting control in their repertoire, uh, whether they were going to develop it themselves, which I heard they were going to do. But, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense to acquire it. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting that they acquired it from Nortec, who has made a history out of collecting very good uh, AV and automation brands. So it's, it was sort of interesting to me that uh, they, they took something from someone who's, a, who's traditionally an a, a acquirer. Um, I, you know, it remains to be seen whether they, they're not yet, certainly, you know, at the Crestron AMX level, then, you know, those two companies have a, have a very long track record, have been uh, in dealers' minds for a very long time. Um, and Savant is definitely uh, trying to get there. They've got a new uh, commercial initiative going. Um, they've long been a, a, a home brand. Um, so, uh, you know, it's good to see. It's always good to see uh, competition because that keeps all the the automation vendors on their toes. It keeps them innovating. So it's always good to see that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a great addition to their portfolio uh, because, yeah, it does. It just it, it gives dealers and integrators, a, you know, a one-stop shop for, for a single solution so they don't have to uh, do it piecemeal. So it, 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 it's a good move, um, and I like it because, again, it, it, it feeds the industry as a whole. And, and also, you know, you're, you're right about that. I, I'll be interested to see where they go with this when it comes to, Pro AV as a, as opposed to, to home AV, um, because you know, let's say that they they, they completed this purchase and this that and the other. I, I expect to see something. I would expect to see something by Infocom, uh, which is in June, which is not that 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 terribly far away. No, no, <laughs> see, <it's, laughs> not you, at all. You know, especially <laughs> you know. you probably have daily meetings about how many days or hours are left till Infocom. So, do you have yeah. daily meetings? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of meetings. It's uh, going to be it's going to be a huge show. We're we're really looking forward to it. It's uh, keeping us on our toes. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Savant. Uh, it's it's just been recent years that they've decided to really make a commercial put push. Um, and so I'd I'd expect to see something from them, uh, perhaps at Infocom. Uh, I, I can't say what I know or don't know. Uh, it's not a lot. Um, but uh, this is definitely something that they've always communicated to me that they want to do. All right, so we're going from two companies becoming one to one company becoming two. Uh, Samsung is spinning off their LCD market, and it's, it's not been terribly profitable anyway. I mean, a number of, of writers have written about the commoditization of LCDs and flat panels over the last few years. They are fully embracing, first of all, the, the spinoff part. They're, they're spinning off the LCD um, part completely. Including the manufacturing part. Now that part has has, has had 
uh, some profits, but the actual, you know, slap a Samsung label on the LCD part hasn't been so so profitable. And they are embracing completely the OLED, which to me is huge. Not only do you have a, a manufacturer saying, you know what, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it by, by focusing completely, laser focusing on this. So to me, Brad, this is... This is a testimony to the fact that there really is a future for OLED displays. Is that accurate? Uh, absolutely, I would say absolutely. I, it's a, the, the news was the news was two things to me. First of all, it was chilling because uh, it says a lot about the LCD market that the the company that just sells tons of LCDs and is arguably the number one seller of LCD panels uh, can't make money at it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it, it, it tells you a lot about the commoditization of these things. And it tells you a little bit about the LCD market, which, you know, and 3D was one of these things. It, it, it's, it's not an IT market. You know, when we all bought computers and we had to buy them every two or three years because things got faster and better and stronger and everything, um, you know, you could, you could keep the profits rolling. TVs just aren't like that. I mean, people buy a TV and they hope to use it for 10 to 15 years. And 3D and some of these other things were were supposed to cause a uh, an IT-like refresh cycle. And, you know, that's just not how people uh, approach TVs. Once you get your two LCD panels in there in your room or in your house, uh, you're pretty much done for, for a decade, or at least that's your hope as a consumer. Um, on the other hand, OLED, um, that could be uh, something that not immediately, but down the road will get people to refresh their display technologies in their homes and their business and, and, and things like that. It's it is obviously great technology. We saw at CES this year. Um, it's not known yet for its high yields. Um, it, it takes a lot to, to make a lot of OLED panels currently. Um, so I don't expect it to happen anytime soon. But I do th- think it's a viable uh, next-generation TV and display technology. And once people have them in their homes, we know that in Pro-AV, uh, they're going to want them everywhere else, in their offices and in their bars and everywhere else. Brad, don't tell anybody, but I'm still holding on to a CRT at my house. So, so am I. <laughs> so am I. Oh my God, I can't believe I just confessed that. I mean, people people mock it. We have guests over, and they point at it and they say, "Are you kidding?" And I say, "It's so heavy, I can't move it." it it's that's it's, my when, thing. When we sell the house, it's part of the it stays part with of the, the sales, house. Right? Package deal. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, but it's, it's like, a great TV. It's, and that's a pro- that's my problem with it is it's still a great TV, and I hate yeah. throwing things out like that. So, yeah. Are you a hoarder, <laughs> Matt, Tim? huh? Are you a hoarder? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. No, my I, wife. I must confess, I actually still have an old CRT as well. It's a <laughs> Panasonic 29 inch console. It's got wooden sides from 1989. Wow. Outside of the fact that the tube shifted a little bit in our last move, um, you know, if we're watching standard def regular cable, it uh, it looks better than my, my Samsung Plasmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, high def is a whole other picture, but, but that, yeah, yeah that's, but no. that's high def. So. But no, it, it, it still does look I, – I wish I, I wish I could find some CRTs for uh, some of the broadcast stuff that we do because, good Lord. Yeah, Anyhow. yeah. Well, and, and some of that is maybe OLED is going to be some of that because to me OLED is it really is the best thing since since plasma, and I really I really have a, a huge huge liking for, for plasma. Matt is is OLED going to be that whole next refresh, or like guys like me, 
uh, who were kind of I'm, I honestly, if if I could find an OLED that was at a decent price, I would actually get rid of the CRT. Um, I have, but you you deal with not only residential but also also church and, and, and some commercial. Hmm. Is that enough of a sale for them to say, okay, you know, I know this is this is only three or four years old, but look at it, you know, it's it's OLED. I think in the in the resi market, maybe it, it depends how much of a resolution jump we get um, when it when we get OLED and when it becomes affordable. Because that's the big thing is it, until it's affordable, it still will not reach any sort of mass consumption. Um, once it's semi affordable, semi you know reasonable, someone can actually justify spending that much money for whatever size frame they're looking at. You know, it'll definitely be something that's used and consumed. But um, I I think it will be, especially in the pro side, uh, once it comes. Because in the pro and the commercial side, you always have that whole, we have to be the best. And we have to, you know, put our best best foot forward, our best face forward, and show that we are cutting edge. So whatever industry you're selling that into, whether it be, you know, house of worship or commercial or retail or anything like that, there's always that drive to, you know, be the most cutting edge business out there. And that can be a huge differentiation factor between company A and company B. So when you have OLEDs and they're cost effective, and again, I use that term kind of loosely, but fairly cost effective, I think you'll really see a lot of uh, businesses putting them in more and more. And uh, like, I know we just had a Buffalo Wild Wings open, um, which is one of the first ones in Canada. So it's kind of cool. And we're all excited for it. Yeah, they were lining up for two days Jeez. to win their hundred, you know, their free wings for a year it's or whatever. Just, but it's just chicken wings. I mean, come True. on. True, they're good chicken wings, they're but okay. it's just, yeah, eh, it's okay. Yeah. You know, go ahead. We, we don't get that many up here. So, okay. You know. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, they outfitted that bar with something like forty different screens. Now, as soon as OLEDs come out, do I see that that restaurant going? Hey, we need this. Just so we have it, just so we can bring in, you know, or especially up here, the hockey crowd. They're going to want to come in and watch it on this. Like we sold a couple 80 inches, uh, sharp 80 inches into some restaurants strictly so that they could advertise they had it. Wow. They don't – did they need it? No. It was replacing a 75-inch Mitsubishi, I believe. So was the 80-inch that much better? Not really. But did it help them advertise and bring more business in? Most definitely. So, you know, that that's where I kind of see it going with OLED as well. Hmm. Brad, uh, Matt brought up a re- actually a really good, interesting point. This needs to become affordable, and maybe that's why I'm excited more than the fact that it's OLED, but the fact that somebody has taken a liking to and, and they are focusing on this because, you know, God bless Sony. <laughs> but they, you know, they could <laughs> because they came out with the first commercial one. Granted, it was 13 inches and it was 2,500 bucks for 13 inches. Yeah. But am, am I misreading this? Because I'm not a manufacturer. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a yahoo with a microphone. Um, is, is the fact that they're focusing on it mean that their bean counters and their, advert and their executives has, have taken a look and a good hard look at this and said, you know what? We can really make a run at this and we can make it affordable if we focus on it and, and just start cranking things out. Yeah, no, I definitely think that they're they're doing this and LG's doing it because they see it as the next generation of display technology. <clears throat> and I don't see another 
significant, uh, you know, consumer, you know, display technology. We have a lot of uh, other display technologies for video walls and things like that, but I don't see anything like OLED coming that will can take the place of the LCD panels that we see everywhere. Um, so yeah, I think they've decided they can do this. They've proven they can do it on a large scale. I mean, we jumped from the you know the the little Sony's to the 55 inch Samsung and LG's very quickly. Yeah. I mean there was there was no there was no ramp up in between. I mean there were demos here and there, but there was no ramp up in between these very viable uh, systems. So I think they know that they can do it. What they need to do is they need to get the manufacturing process down. They need to get their yields up so that uh, there's not a lot of waste in the manufacturing process, and that will uh, that will start to drive down the prices, and then people will get comfortable with it. And, you know, I, I do think it's going to happen. I think it's great technology. Um, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, and they're going to get they're going to get better and better at it. Um, and then uh, and then we'll start adopting them. It's not going to be this year. I don't know if it'll be next year, um, but it'll happen. I really hope so because those so are hold on to that CRT, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't toss it yet. It can go right. in my it can go in my kids' playroom. Yeah. <laughs> they can they can play my my original uh, Nintendo uh, NES on there it. There you so. go. Or the Atari. Uh, you're listening to Brad Grimes. Uh, he is senior editor at Infocom and Matt Scott. Uh, with Omega Audio Video. This is AV Week. Last couple of weeks, uh, Dish Network di- uh, rolled out something that I-, I found a little interesting. And the Cliff Notes version of this is basically you can get Dish Network without the Dish. <laughs> it- it's, uh, it's something that they're doing over high-speed uh, internet. It- it's something called Hopper. And basically, it is getting programming down a pipe instead of down a dish and down a, a downlink. Um, I, I mentioned this in, in conjunction with uh, before the show, I was telling Matt Scott that I'm actually going to finally write a blog post, which I think the last one was somewhere around the Nixon administration that I wrote, <laughs> um, about content over the Internet. And this dish hopper thing makes sense. Um, the uh, DirecTV is developing something similar to that. Here at, 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 at my, uh, my, my full-time job at the college, we had to migrate away from DISH uh, because we use a lot of programming uh, from the University of California television system, their, their satellite system. And if you're not familiar with that, go to UCTV, Google it. I'm not right, real, real clear on, on what their, their address is right now, but it's the University of California's satellite system, and it, it's, it aggregates all of their educational programming, lectures and, and stuff like that. Well, because of costs, they are getting off of Dish Network. They're getting off of the bird that they're on now, the, the satellite up in, up in space they're on now. And they have developed a Roku app. And so we had to go out and we had to get a Roku. This is, is where I'm going with this. We are in a new era or shortly getting into a new era where, you know what? You don't need a transmitter. You don't need... A, a broadcast stick, as it were. And you, you, don't, you don't really need a satellite anymore. You need enough bandwidth to push your stuff out to your end user. Matt, my, my, my question with this is, is how is this changing the, the dynamic, not only of residential, but also of places like Buffalo Wild Wings, where you know what? You don't have to have a $100 subscription every month to DirecTV or Dish Network. You got you you can have a Roku where you can stream, you know, MLB uh Major League Baseball's uh app. 
I think it's going to be huge, and, and I definitely hope it'll be huge up here. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I live and operate most of my business most of the time in Canada, and we don't get anywhere near the content that y'all get down south. So, uh, down south. Yeah, down south. Yeah, you heard that. I'm actually south of 13 states right now, so I'm quite proud of that fact. But anyways, um, I digress. I think it's going to be really, really good. And, you know, we're seeing as a society that more and more people are getting their content through uh, smaller screens. We're getting them on iPads. We're getting them on iPhones and, you know, apps and everything else. So this is really just, to me, it's the cable companies and the satellite companies realizing that people are not going to want a dish forever. They're not going to want to consume their content that way. So the fact that they're making it much more accessible and dish-free is going to be much, much better. The caveat to this is that I, I think our, our internet pricing is definitely going to go up. <laughs> well, and yours is already as, bad as it is. Yes, ours is, ours is unbelievably high as it is. But uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where the more that they're able to make content available online through the pipe and – also have the quality there because I know that that's one of the big issues that a lot of people have is uh, I, I'm a bit of a I'm not a huge but I'm a bit of a Manchester United fan and we get maybe two games three games a week up here so I do sometimes you know pick up a, a live stream and hook up one of my computers either over AirPlay or whatever to my TV to watch it on the on the on the plasma as I'm working and doing whatever. But the quality is terrible. Like it's not bad, but it's not high def. It's yeah. not you know ESPN, which we also don't get. But um, <laughs> you don't you know, get ESPN. It, no, it's very sad. Seriously, dude, they watch hockey all the time. ESPN has <laughs> hockey all the time, and and I I don't mind hockey, but you don't mind it's, hockey. It's not football. It's not college basketball. I'm from St. Louis. No. I think I'm a bigger hockey fan than than you are. I can guarantee you, you're a bigger hockey fan than I am. I can guarantee it. But uh, George is a bigger hockey fan than I am. George is a bigger Anyways, hockey fan, yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of you guys are. <laughs> they always tell me I'm, an, I'm a terrible Canadian because I'm really not a hockey fan. But you're a great American because you're a Cowboy fan. Exactly. Woo! America's team. <laughs> Which is weird. <laughs> Anyways. But, yeah, so it's, you know, I think it's very, very cool. I think it's going to be very good. And I'm hoping that they don't, you know, put – uh, country restrictions on it as heavily as they might so that I might be able to access said content if you heard that Mr. Dish president man <laughs> or or the NFL I mean here's the thing <laughs> yes, the once once the NFL or, or MLB gets on this uh well MLB already is on on Roku but you know what I I would love to see something like the NFL say all right you know what 100 bucks 200 bucks I I would pay 200 250 a year to stream whatever football game I wanted on my Roku uh, because I, as I mentioned I'm in St. Louis but I'm a huge Bears fan well <laughs> let me tell you the the I think I'm, I might get one game a year where I can watch it live uh, you know in my living room well you know um, I could pay you know I could go to direct TV and get all that just anyhow um, Brad is this is this a huge you know is this like the next step in evolution or is this just us techno geeks kind of geeking out on this and you know it's it's just maybe a side road on the on the evolution of broadcasting now when i when i saw this news i wasn't interested in the news so much for dish i mean dish had to do something they were getting their lunch handed to them by direct tv 
and uh, they need to do something and reinvent themselves. And I commend them for, for going out and trying some new things. Um, but in bigger picture, no, it's, this isn't just a, a blip. This is, you know, one of the ways content is going to be developed uh, and delivered. Uh, you know, the fact that some of these streaming companies are developing their own content and opening studios and making deals. Um, short term, though, frankly, the whole thing confuses me. I don't know who I should stream from. I don't know which stream to, to pick up. I don't know, you know. There's so much going on when the cable companies have streams and the satellite companies have streams and the streaming companies have streams. Um, you know, there's there's going to be they, they're all doing it because this is the future. And I think we all agree that this this pretty much is the future. But I think it's telling that, you know, people still have, a you know, people stream, but they still have a pay TV component to their entertainment. Um, and there are reasons for that. You know, there are reasons, you know, the Fox soccer channel and. There's reasons people do direct TV because they can get the Sunday pack, you know, the, the the football packages and the baseball packages. So right now it's it's just a, a lot of confusion. Where do you shop? Do you do piecemeal it so that you can get all your entertainment? Um, it's going to come down to who can survive, who can, you know, uh, you know, Netflix stock goes up and down based on who they get deals with. You know, what content? It's it's the content, baby. I mean, that's that's what people are going to be looking for, and they're going to, you know, they're going to try to get it any way that they can. But you know, there's going to be a threshold. If if I have to pay eight bucks a month to five different streaming companies so that I can get all my content, um, then I'm not going to dig that. But I mean, streaming's coming around because the cable companies and everybody, you know, they have such control over what content you can get, and they charge you a little bit more for this content, a little bit less than that content. I mean, why should one content cost more than the other? You know, that's one of the reasons streaming is becoming so big. I mean, I've only recently started streaming, um, you know, on a TV. Uh, and frankly, it took a hardwired network to get it done because it's not great wireless. But yeah. um, it's 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 the future. I mean, just once the fat pipes are all out there, a lot of people are going to get it this way. I don't know if I'm going to get from Dish. I mean, I've already got set-top boxes. I certainly don't need more of them. Um so, uh, but I think I, I saw the news as a sign of the future, and I do think that this is the future. Well, you, you mentioned something there. If I'm paying eight, eight bucks a month to five different carriers, but I've got everything that I want, mm-hmm. that's only 40 bucks. That's less one that I'm paying now. I'm on board I, with that. I would jump on that in a second. Yeah. That would be so much more content than what I'm currently getting for way more money. <laughs> yeah, but it, but I don't think we're there yet, right? Yeah. I bet you no. can't find five eight dollar subscriptions and still feel like you're getting everything that you want. True. Um, you know the the cable companies and and Direct TV and some of these they do have things that they're just not letting go of because they paid a lot of money to big corporations, Major League Baseball, the NFL, to do things, and they're they're not gonna you know, you're just not gonna get it all in a nice, clean, streaming fashion yet. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Brad mentioned also the disparate you know, way in which all of these guys, you, you don't know which one to go to, and, and some of it is based on what device you get. Um, mm-hmm. You have, I mentioned Roku. Well, at, at the house, I have a Western Digital that I love. I really do. Uh, it doesn't have a couple of things that I wish it did, but then you go to Roku, it doesn't do a couple things I wish it did. <laughs> so are, are we kind of waiting for that one magical device that not only will stream and I can you know do apps on, but will also stream my uh, my digital content that's on you know my my hard drive? Yeah, we really are. 
Um, you know, the Roku makes a great device. The Western Digital device is pretty good. Um, I'm a big fan of the the Apple TVs as well. And, you know, they're great, but they still don't meet every need and they don't solve every problem. Uh, actually, quite far from that. Um, and it's it's literally just one of those things where one, you know, hopefully one day every every content provider and every format will not be one and the same, but will be capable of understanding that there there may be some value to someone else's format. Like the, the one issue that drives me absolutely crazy with my Apple TV is unless I hack it, um, there's a lot of video formats that I can't play. Except so if, I, so if I didn't buy it, you know, through iTunes, if I got it from another source or ripped a DVD myself, um, a lot of times, unless I convert it into, you know, one of their proprietary formats, I can't watch it. Okay, but except except one thing here, Matt. Um, Mountain Lion, when it comes out, yes, you're going to be able to do it straight from your Mac. Oh, I know, and that's going to be and that's going to be cool. that is that not a game changer? I hope so. Again, un- until until you see it. Until I see it, and and you guys know me, I'm a huge Apple fan. I no. love my Apple stuff. I know it's shocking, right? But uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where I know very well that um, Apple doesn't put anything out without some form of restriction. They they won't do they won't do anything that's like you know what we could do the whole thing. And guess what we did? It's always we could have done this, but I don't like Flash or or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always that issue for me. So, yes, I'm very impressed with some of the stuff Mountain Lion's supposed to bring. But until I see it, until I can actually, you know, hands-on and play with it and see exactly what it can do, um, I'm kind of holding my breath. Because it, it's the same as Samsung. Samsung's been saying for years that, you know, they can stream any content through their, their web-enabled devices as long as you use their share manager and da-da-da-da-da. That doesn't work on a Mac. Well, yeah. Well, you have to, it, you have till summer, so. <laughs> no, I think I think it was like June or July when when. Yeah, it's supposed to be June. Okay, there you go. All right, you listened to AV Week with Matt Scott from Omega Audio Video in the uh, content poor London, Ontario, Canada. Yes. Uh, and Brad Grimes, he is senior editor at Infocom. Uh, we're going to step away here for a second and do something we do because I like to. Uh, point people in the direction of new opportunities and jobs. It is the AV Week Job of the Week brought to you by Rave Pubs uh, Jobs section. Go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Jobs. Ravepubs.com forward slash AV Jobs. This week's jobs is a vice president. There you go, Matt. You can be a VP of new business development, but you have to move uh, because it's for RGB Spectrum in Alameda, California. Uh, they're asking you to have a, ma- a bachelor's degree in marketing, business administration, or engineering. That would be really groovy. Uh, please have 15 years or more of new business development. A technical background would be really nice. Uh, there is some overnight travel required, uh, but not a whole terrible lot. Uh, for more information, go to rgb.com forward slash careers. rgb.com forward slash careers. If this is not your job, if you're you know more of a, a Crestron or AMX programmer, or you're you know, a technician or what have you, go to ravepubs.com forward slash avjobs, ravepubs.com forward slash avjobs. That is the AV Week job of the week. Uh, from AV Technology Online, there was an interesting uh, blog written by Tim Cridle, and I apologize if I butchered his name, but he, he goes into... <laughs> 
uh, comparing flat panels to projectors. And one thing was, you know, he was saying that in the last year we've had stuff like Sharp 70-inch LCD going for not quite $4,000. And um, all of these different flat panels that are coming out that are are huge, they're really big displays, 70, 80-inch displays that are really bright and, and not very expensive when you compare them to, you know, 10 years ago. The the article's topic, though, uh, or, or title, is Wither the Projector. And Tim goes basically into saying, have we reached the point where the projector is now a niche market? Matt, is, is it where you would rather, are we to the point yet where when you compare dollars to dollars, where you, it's more affordable and, and more applicable to put in a flat panel than it is to put in a projector and a screen um it it really for for me and when i'm specifying this type of stuff for our company it really depends on the application and what i will say is that a lot of times yes there's a lot of situations especially in the resi market where we can put in a 70 or 80 inch tv and you know, we may be sacrificing maybe 30 inches or 40 inches of screen size, but the ease of use for the customer and the look that they want is much better served with a with a flat panel of some form or description. In the, the professional market, um, maybe not as much. I, I still think projectors have a very, very good um, place and, and should be used a lot of times instead of a, uh, a screen but you know again we are seeing more and more screens get bigger and bigger and bigger and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper so when you can do that and you don't have you know the uh, the cost of running the machines then yeah a, a lot of times it, it is it is better but it does completely depend on the situation so Brad uh, take outside of residential because I'll, I'll give you guys you know the fact that in most cases residential you're, you're going to put it in a flat panel but Let's say a classroom. You know, a classroom. You're looking at an 80-inch display or an or an 80-inch screen with projector. Have, have we reached that that medium point there, or the point where the scales tip more in the favor of, of flat panels in those instances? Um. Well, first of all, uh, Tim Crydell, shout out, good buddy. <laughs> He's from your neck of the woods, did I, actually. Did I say I, his name right though? Uh, yeah, I, I think you were close. Okay. Um, uh, I know Tim well. And uh, I know he and I have discussed this topic before. Um, <clears throat> the point being, in, in the conference rooms, the, uh, it's really the small projectors and the screens that um, you know could go into a classroom, uh, could go into a boardroom. You know, those ones. I, I, I think, in, in his article, it, it makes a good case that those are endangered species that if you can put up an, an 80 inch display and it costs X and you don't have to change the bulbs or anything like that. Um, and you know, you're not walking in front of the lights when you're making a presentation or it, it just, it makes a lot of sense. So, um, I think the point is that, you know, like Matt said, it depends on the application, but there are a lot of applications that were, that used to be no brainers, pop in a projector and put in a screen that just aren't no brainers anymore just because of the size of the panels and whatnot. Now, uh, again, education, uh, you know, different applications. A lot of places they like touch intera- interactivity. So you could do a panel with a touch overlay. Um, it's also, but that is a good market for uh, specialized short throw projectors. You know, they do pretty well in the education market. Um, 
So, uh, you know, niche play for projectors. I don't know that projectors are niche. They've just evolved. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's really, you know, I think the perception uh, that, that Tim's getting in the market. And I've talked to a lot of people who see the same thing. It's just, um, you know, proje and projector companies have been really good at, at evolving. I mean, the short throw projector two or three years ago I thought was uh, almost comedic. I didn't think how it would see how it would work. I didn't think the technology was that great. And very rapidly they've found the market for it. They, they've found a, a way to make it work well, and they've found people who will employ it and, and use it really, really well. So I, I, I admire that. And then, you know, at the higher end, you know, there's still projection. You know, I, I love the ideas of projectors as art, as, as mm. you know, as projecting on surfaces. And, you know, I've, been, I've talked to guys who, who, who know how to project on waterfalls and all these things. I mean, wow. uh, so in other words, projectors aren't going to go away and they're not going to be set aside. They've just evolved. But there are a lot of situations now where if you're thinking of, put, of putting a projector in your conference room or your boardroom or, you know, in your hotel uh, lobby or, or something like that, wherever it happens to be, you know, stop, think, you know, I got an 80 inch, inch uh, plasma LCD that I can put in there. And that's definitely happening. Well, and this actually leads us to our, our, our next article, which is um, from TFC Info's uh, research department, saying that churches are preferring flat panels to projectors. Now, <laughs> I, I saw this and I, and I did, I laughed. Do you know I was going to chuckle? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matt's a lot like me. Matt actually does more volunteering than I do uh, when it comes to our churches. I don't see it. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean... Uh, according to the research, you know, um, in, in 09, 25% of churches with 0 to 250 seats were using flat panels. Today, half are. And 0 to 250 seats, you're talking about a smaller projector, therefore, or a smaller church, therefore a smaller space. Um, uh, yeah, it's – sorry, I, I got to jump in on this one. It, this, is, <laughs> this is one that bothers me immensely. Um, I, I do a lot of traveling and a lot of gigging and, and doing presentations and shows in churches all across North America. And I've seen this, this, this move to using flat panels over projections, uh, projection systems. And this is one of those things where to me, the, either the, the tech, um, technical director in the, the facility or the integrator is usually, and I did say usually, uh, is doing a major disservice to the church. The reason I say that is that they look at it and go, okay, well, you know, we need a couple screens for, for lyrics or, or, or something and announcements and stuff like that. Let's go to Walmart. We'll buy. Jeez. Uh, you, no, you, you laugh, no, but I'm it's not, totally I'm, true. I'm not laughing. I, yeah. We'll go to Walmart or Target or, or whoever's got the cheapest deal and we'll buy a 42-inch LCD from a no-name company and we'll put it on the wall and we'll put two of them on or, or we'll put we'll scatter them throughout the room because two would and, be better yes always and you know put put one on the left and right what you know yeah. you're normal yeah. and do that and i'm okay with that in certain applications but the issue i have is that most times they're buying and installing the cheapest projector or i'm sorry the cheapest tvs they can find in the largest size and what that means to an end user, a congregant, is that, yes, there's a TV there. We know it's there. We can see that there is a TV on the wall. Can we read it? Not really. Can we understand? You know, can you 
Exactly, because it's either not big enough. I very rarely see anything like the the standard size I see is fifty and under. I very rarely see anything above that. And then a lot of times the extension of that is that again because they're cheaper screens, the resolution is not there. So you have people who are designing content in PowerPoint or whatever that normally should be played on a projector, which would give you a larger viewing size, which would mean people could read it better, and they can't read it because it's on a screen that has bad resolution. And it, it's just – it's true. The, the article is true, but it's bad installations. It, it's bad AV as a rule. What? Sorry. And, there, there's my rant. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm and, no, but, and I, I'm I'm completely with you. I mean, when I read this, I, oh. I felt like we're just missing something. That uh, that I I don't I don't think that churches necessarily prefer flat panels to projectors, but I could see that they're buying more. Maybe they're putting them in assembly rooms or they're putting mm-hmm. them in in the Sunday school room or something like that. But you know, this is one of the situations where thank goodness that there are AV professionals like Matt and others, because there's there's science involved here, you know, yes. like you, like you said, <laughs> no, you know, what? Yeah, Sorry, what was that? you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, as a, as a church tech director, you're not supposed to know that certain contrast ratios, certain resolutions, you're just not going to see it. it. You know, it, it may have sounded like a good idea and it may have been really big, but like Matt said, once you get it in, you're going to realize you can't see, people can't see what you're putting on there. I mean, it, obviously it depends on the church and everything oh, like yeah. that, but, um, you know, it's like, and it's, and it's this, and it's this way in lots of venues. I mean, we, you know, um, you know, the head of the California courts, uh, Jennifer Willard, who I've spoken to many times says that, you know, she goes into these courts and judges say, yeah, let's put some flat panels here for looking at evidence. And she spends the bulk of her time talking people away from flat panels to projection systems because their application, the flat panel will not do what they think it's going to do. And it's, it's, it's something that AV professionals know people with AV backgrounds, people with CTS, people who, who follow AV standards. Um, they know this kind of thing. And that's why, you know, thank goodness that the, the pro AV industry exists so that, you know, churches don't end up putting these things in all the time and then squinting and, and nobody being able to do anything. Well, and you actually brought up a good, a good point, Brad. How how do we communicate to churches uh, the eight six four rule? I mean, one, one of the first lessons I once I discovered Infocom. One of the first classes I, online I took was just a basic, you know, um, I think it was called Essentials or, or AV Essentials, yeah. and it goes over. You know, if you're this far away from the from the farthest viewer, uh, mm-hmm. and you and you want to display. You know, a PowerPoint, let's say some sort of, of character generation, some sort of, of words, it has to be this this you know much of of the furthest distance, and it's it's you know it, it's a basic formula. But guy, the the technical director that Matt's talking about doesn't know that. All he knows is that he has five hundred bucks from his pastor to get as many displays as he can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I you know to be honest with you, I, and I, I think Matt would agree that not all technical directors are completely ignorant of these types of things. Um, but I, unfortunately, some of it's going to be trial and error. And, you, you know, uh, companies like Match are going to be able to go in and say, well, here's the problem. Let me explain it to you. And let's, and let's look at some things. And, uh, and you'll see that if I put in this projector and this screen uh, and you've got, you know, 250 seats, you, you know, everybody will be able to see it. Um, 
you know, it's, it's the, it's the consumerization of a lot of technology. It's just that, you know, people had it in their living room and Hey, I can see it from everywhere. Um, why can't I put this somewhere else? It's, it's, it's natural. Um, but you know, it's, you know, some, sometimes it requires a professional to, to get the results that a church or a court or anybody else, anybody else wants. And, uh, you know, Infocom is developing standards. They've got a projected, uh, uh, image contrast ratio standard, which, you know, isn't necessarily a flat panel, but you can go through calculations. You can take it to someone and you can say, let's, let's run through these things and we'll see what kind of contrast ratio you need in this room so that everybody can see it. And this is how we're going to accomplish it. So, you know, everything's in development. Everything is, is, uh, is a long-term deal. But, uh, yeah, when I saw this, I, I sort of anticipated what Matt's reaction would be because, um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I have no doubt that they're buying more flat panels. Uh, everybody's buying flat panels. Uh, I, I doubt a lot of them are going into, uh, into the heart of the church for, you know, lyrics or things that, you know, people just wouldn't read from the back row. You would be surprised. Yeah, I would. <laughs> you you would be surprised, especially in the market sec- sector that this article references. Yeah. You would be you'd be very surprised, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the small well, to medium sized churches. Get ready for the run of business when. Uh, Excellent. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what what has it been? Two years. So yeah, everybody should be wanting a projection system pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the biggest issue I find most of the times when I I go into facilities like this is. You know, we started a discussion, and I'm not one. I do not like to go into someone else's church and tell them everything that's wrong with it. <laughs> that's right. no, unless they ask me to do that. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, it's not something that usually comes up. And a lot of times for me, I end up getting introduced to people, and they, they ask what I do, and I tell them. And then the questions start to come. And a lot of times it comes down to people in that facility looking at it and going, I don't know what it is, but something's not right. <laughs> I don't, I can't, you know, and that's, that's been the biggest thing that uh, my company's dealt with is they don't, a lot of times they just don't know what the issue actually is. They, they don't know why they can't see it. Yeah. They, they, you know, trade it off to something else, not necessarily that the technology was specified improperly, but just something. And, and that's where it's always extra fun to deal with. <laughs> yeah. All right. You're listening to AV Week with Brad Grimes, the senior editor at Infocom, and Matt Scott. Call him if you need to switch out your <laughs> your, your flat panel. He's <laughs> with Omega Audio Video. Uh, this next story comes to us from CE Pro and and our buddy Jason Knott. And he 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 asks an interesting question. And it, it, the reason it, it it brought huge amount of a emotional response to me because I have two small kids. And the question is this, and it, 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 it's based around uh, a story of, of five kids dying in the Chicago area because a TV tipped over and crushed them. Sad story. Let's start with that. This is a sad story. It's unfortunate. Um, but Jason's question is, and I'm just going to quote from, from the article, integrators in the Chicago area have a similar question to ask themselves about this being you know, too, too crass to go out and, and canvas uh, for securing your TV. Uh, with a rash of tipping, flat panel TVs grimly killed uh, five children in the area in just a four-month span. Um, the question is whether or not integrators in Chicago and a wider area, I would say, you know, over the country, is it too crass to go out and start advertising 
for a service to save a child. And I'm a dad. I have two small kids. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And and we joked about my, my CRT. My CRT is huge. It's it's enormous. It weighs both. It weighs more than both of them put together. And it is in an area that they cannot get to or tip over on themselves. But I'm you know somewhat of an AV professional, and I get that. And so stories like this they sadden me. But and, and this is just my opinion. I would say that any integrator. Um, would almost have a duty to say, you know what? Here's five kids who could have been saved by a half an hour or an hour's worth of work and a hundred bucks or whatever the cost is. I'm not I'm not an integrator, so I don't know what the cost is. But regardless, uh, Matt, you are an integrator. Is mm-hmm. this something where it's it's an area that's too sensitive for you to touch, or is it something where where it, what I'm saying is you almost have a duty to go out and say, look, guys. Here's something I can do for you that that could save your kid's life. Yeah, you know, I saw this and it instantly it, it made me think of two things. One, obviously, I was very saddened to see it, and two, I thought about I I don't have kids myself yet, but I have a niece and nephew who are six and two and a half, yeah. and same thing. That that's instantly what came to my mind, and the the kind of combination of that is I'm thinking, okay, well, when my niece and nephew are over at my house. In my living room, I have a 50-inch plasma that sits on a stand, and it's it's not wall-mounted yet. And uh, going, I wonder if they could pull that over. Mm-hmm. And going up and checking it and going, you know, I'm grabbing it and shaking it a little bit and going, well, you know, it's pretty good, but it's not wall-tethered yet. So I wonder if I should tether this before they come <laughs> over. And going, yeah, probably should. But so – you know, it, it really made me go, yes, I think that this is something that we definitely should do. And I'll, I'll tell you right now that I can hopefully guarantee that these TVs that fell over were not installed by a proper integrator because it wouldn't have happened. I, I would it almost definitely guarantee they weren't. Yes. They're, they you know, not. somebody who bought one at, a, at, at Best Buy or wherever they got it, brought it home, set it up, and that was it. Pulled it out, put it on the stand. And, you know, I, I think this is definitely a area where we as integrators could definitely market it and say, you know, hey, for, you know, even if our hourly rate's an hour and the part, you know, a tether costs 20 bucks, just because of what it is, put it out there as like a, you know, $75 special deal thing, protect, you know, protect your family, protect your possessions and also protect your TV. Not to, you know, definitely a TV is not worth a kid by any means, but you know, again, it's just that threefold thing of, hey, if you can do something simple that, you know, makes it safer for everyone in the room, that's always better. And and I will say that, you know, we've never uh, – and hopefully my guys haven't either. We will not, you know, go into a house and see a TV that's sitting on something that it probably shouldn't be sitting on and say, hey, by the way, you should make sure that's properly secured to something. You mean it shouldn't be on milk crates? No, no, it shouldn't <laughs> be on milk crates. It shouldn't be on cardboard boxes. Um, you know, th- there's not that you see that too often, but occasionally in the kids' room or something, yeah. <laughs> which makes perfect sense. But uh, yeah, my biggest thing is, you know, you don't want to put out an ad and, and flyer your neighborhoods with a picture of a kid, you know, trying to hold up a TV as it's tilting. <laughs> That's probably not not proper marketing. But uh, yeah, as a 
feature and as an option, I think it would be very important. Well, and, and Brad, as an organization or as a bunch of guys uh, in, in the industry, Matt's right. You shouldn't put a picture of a kid under a TV, but you could at least make people aware. Is that not, I mean, or is that, does that seem too opportunistic? Well, I don't think it's opportunistic at all. I, you know, I, I think, um, as, as Matt alluded to, there are integration jobs, there are residential integration jobs. And I think anytime uh, an integrator is doing one of those, they should ensure that they're talking to the homeowner about securing uh, their electronics and uh, specifically their flat panels. If there's someone, it's it, it, it's it makes a lot of sense. It's a good talking point with the with the, the customer. It shows you understand uh, their needs. Uh, you understand their family. You you know that they have young kids. Um, then you know like, but none of the, I I would hazard to guess that none of these uh, tragic deaths were the result of an integrated home theater system or anything like that. Like Matt said, they went down to Best Buy. Um, they brought it home, they put it on something they shouldn't have, or they, maybe they did put it in a piece of furniture. You know, unfortunately things happen. Um, I, but I would expect, I would expect a salesperson at Best Buy before they hand over a 50 inch uh, flat panel to say, you know, would you like to discuss, uh, you know, options for securing the mounting or, uh, or you know, protecting uh, your family and your your panel um, because you know there, this has been known to happen. I don't think that that's you know opportunistic at all. I don't think it's. I think it's quite responsible. In fact, I would find it irresponsible if someone sold a big TV to someone and didn't discuss securing it. Yeah. Um, and I also think, obviously, you know, manufacturers have to look at some of this stuff. I know they want it flat, and I know they want it thin. Um, I've seen lots of. Uh, stands for flat panels that are an embarrassment uh, that you know that that, sh- that you know shouldn't be holding up anything. Yeah. Um, you know, now not a lot of them, but but I've seen them. You know, manufacturers obviously should be should be looking at their products, and all it's going to take is one of these. What is it? In a decade, 169 kids died from TVs falling yeah. on them. Mm-hmm. It just takes a couple of them, their parents, to say, "Listen, this is the TV maker's fault." I'll see you in court and, um, you know, to get their attention and it shouldn't take that. It might take that. Um, yeah, this is serious, but I, you know, I don't, I don't find it opportunistic. I, I, I happen to think that as Matt said, I don't think you're going to want to canvas your neighborhood. I, you know, you're, 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 you need to get the biggest bang for your marketing dollars. I don't think going around neighborhoods and saying, is your, is your TV tied down, uh, is going to raise a lot of business, but when you're integrating the homes, yeah, you just say, listen, I see you want to put these panels here and here and here. Let me talk to you a little bit about securing them. And, you know, it's not going to cost you much extra, but this is what it's going to do for you. Uh, now, so. the the interesting thing to me was that um, I don't – I can't say off the top of my head if it's every manufacturer or every brand. But I know for a long time, a lot of the, the screens all came with a little – like I think it was nylon. It wasn't necessarily super heavy-duty. But it came with a little strap that you were supposed to screw into the wall and screw to uh, a center point just above the verse amounts mm-hmm. on the TV. And I do know that, you know, whether it's Samsung or Sony or Sharp or Toshiba or whoever, Panasonic, they all say, you know, in their documentation, be careful. These screens can tip, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, you know, and again, I'm not saying this is necessarily anyone's fault, but 
it's one of those things. There, there are a reason that they put those warnings on screens and, you know, in the manuals and all the documentation. And, uh, you know, I'd hope that people, you know, do actually read them. There, there is a purpose for them in the box, not just right. to not just to keep in the bag like some of us integrators maybe do. <laughs> and I think, yeah, that's what happens. Just end up, I mean, I've got furniture that came with anchors for the wall. I'm yeah. like, this is the biggest piece of furniture I own now, and I'm going to try to anchor it to a wall. You know, that thing ended up in a, in a you know, drawer somewhere. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think what will happen is there will be more prominent warnings and more people will engage people as they do this. But I don't know if it's an aftermarket service. All right, uh, real quickly, guys, and, and, and we'll let you go. Um, how do I get into this story? Um, just dive. Just dive. Just dive. Okay, so there's a there's a, a conference or a, an, ex, an exhibition called ISC. It stands for Integrated Systems uh, Europe. Actually, Infocom is one of the partners for it. Cedia is the other. Uh, it is officially, uh, according to the numbers this year, the biggest uh, AV uh, ex- exhibition in the world uh, at 43,000 um, attendees this past uh, January into February. And so that being the case, there were quite a few um, audiovisual AV um, reporters, people who do this for a living. They cover it, um, whether that's, you know, CE Pro or Commercial Integrator, you know, SCN, our buddies over at Rave. Uh, and that's actually where we get into this is those our buddies over at Rave. Um, and, and there's also a, another guy that was doing it, and it's it's something called the Daily Do or Daily Doe, whatever it is. I don't much I don't read it, so I don't much know much about it. Um, it long story very short, the Gary K, uh, our, our buddy over at Rave, he hires a, a, a lot of, of young people. Um, that's that's his mo because. You know, he believes that they have a lot of energy and they have a lot to offer. And they do. You know, these kids are are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and raring to go, uh, not only just in the industry, but in covering, you know, events like this. And the the guy over at the, the DOOH thing took issue with some of them, uh, took issue with some of the quality that they were producing, and took issue with some of the females <laughs> that were covering uh, for Gary. And some things were tweeted back and forth as, as only they can be tweeted. So this guy starts taking issue on Twitter and the people that run uh, Women in AV, uh, which is WAVE, uh, womeninav.com, took issue with, with this guy's uh, portrayal of, of the females that were working for Gary. And this is my two cents, guys, and, and you guys can, can chime in if you want. You don't have to if you don't, if you don't want to. But my bottom line for this, and it, it was it was a little on, on Twitter for a couple of days, and, and, and some various blogs. Uh, our uh, one of our producers and, and um, contributors, George Tucker, was wrote a blog post about it. And I'm just going to say this about it: I, I think the guy was unprofessional. I think he is misogynistic to say the least, and I don't think there's a, there's a place for it in society, first of all, but certainly, certainly not in our industry, because. You know, we we have enough issues going around, whether that's, you know, HDCP or, you know, our other actual issues. Uh, We don't need some some Stone Age man stuck in the 50s, uh, you know, commenting on 
the, the people in our industry, whether they're male or female. So my sorry, no, that that's my two cents. That's your rent, yeah. your rant, yeah. your rant's over. All right. Um, my my biggest issue with this is, and somehow I was following some of the ISE coverage, but obviously I was not following it that close as I didn't uh, see the initial. Uh, tweets that were going back and forth on this, but I, you know, I did see it afterwards, and of course, I read George's, I read or read uh, Jennifer's follow up as well, and you know, I read a couple other people's posts, and my issue comes down to, uh, again, call me old fashioned, which is fine. Um, my wife tells everyone that she married a sixty year old man in a twenty something year old body. I think George called you Dorian Gray at one point. Yes, he did. Yes, okay. he did, and. Uh, he, th- this guy can think whatever he wants. That's his prerogative. I really don't care what he thinks. Um, but I, I like to consider myself a gentleman, and I think that we should be, and we as men always should be. And I don't care. Like uh, I'm one of those guys. If I see a woman coming th- through a door, I will hold the door for her. Amen, brother. Whether she thanks me or whether she gives me a stern look and says, I can get my own door, which has happened. Um, I don't really care. I'm still going to do it. Mm-hmm. I was in a store just the other day, and the lady asked me for something, and I you know, gave it to her and said, here you go, ma'am. She looked at me and said, don't call me ma'am. And I said, I'm sorry. My mother raised me right. <laughs> and uh, you know, for me, that's, that's my takeaway from this is that I definitely do not want to be associated with this guy. I don't really like what he was saying. I don't think it's appropriate in any industry. And not that I'm necessarily, you know, a full, hey, female power or, or whatever, you know, other side of it you want to take. But to me, it's just this is not what a real man does. A real man does not do this type of stuff, whether he's talking about women, men, or anyone else or anything else. This is just not it's, – it's not professional and it, it's, not, it's not mature. And my other issue with it is this, is the fact that this, this person is is a reporter, is a journalist for the industry, and that's something that I'm I'm trying to break into. And so if that is the standard or if that is the face of reporting in the AV industry, I think that's an issue as well. So Definitely, and I don't think it is. Um, I know quite a few writers and, and – I don't think you know, it is by and large, but I think I think if if that's it's it's an example, which is unfortunate. It, it's definitely an example, and you know, as I as I always say, um, no matter what the situation, you can't fix stupid. No, you can't. And Adrian, if you're listening and you don't like that, send me an email. We'll talk. I'm totally cool with that. But you yeah. know, it or whatever his name is, I don't know. Don't send me an email. Well, you can send me one. I'm yeah. fine with that. He's Matt Scott at Omega Audio. Video, so. <laughs> Nice. And I will be at Infocom. So, you know, let's sit down and have a conversation about it. I'll be there as well. So, and I know Brad Grimes will be there. I sure will. Looking forward to it. All right. He is Brad Grimes. Guys, thanks so much. This has been fun. Um, Just the three of us. And it's been nice. Uh, He is senior editor at Infocom. Let's talk about that real quickly for a second. Infocom is everywhere. (laughs) And I don't mean that. Infocom is everywhere. Facetiously. But you guys have a Facebook. You have a Twitter. You're online everywhere. Um, also, uh, registration is open. Speaking of Intocom, registration is open. Do you, what, when do you have to be there? Like probably May 30th. Cause the conference opens at like the 9th or 10th of, of June. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have the dates in front of you, but I'll, I'll be there, uh, 
from before it starts to after it after starts. starts. It's, uh, you know, they we're, we're, we've got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff that happens uh, before the before the uh, exhibitions even start. There's the Super Tuesday. There's all the the pre-show uh, education, which uh, Infocom does that way because you know we want everybody to have an opportunity to get on the show floor and see the new technology and still get all their education. And there are things that happen after the show. Uh, on standards and best practices that we'll be doing. So uh, it's a, it's really a full week of stuff. And I realize not everybody can devote a, a full week, but if companies have a couple people that they can, can uh, manage to have in Las Vegas the entire week, I think it's worth it. Something else that I find I find fascinating, and I'm going to work on you between now and June, is to help me with my CTSD. But <laughs> is, <laughs> is uh, you can take your CTS, your CTSD, your CTSI at the show and you get you get you get your results right there, which is why I know I only, I lost by fifty points. I, I failed my CTSD by fifty points. Yeah, you can't take the test there. I, uh, the test has to be taken a certain way, um, but you can take it at the show, which is a which is a great offer. Yeah, and then here's here's the cool thing. So if you've never been to Infocom or, or you have and you've never gotten a little ribbon thing, your ribbon changes from CTS to CTSD, and there's just something cool about that. Or you you go from not having a ribbon to having a CTS ribbon. There's just I I don't know, maybe I, I geek out about too much stuff like that. But I think that's cool. Yeah, uh, June ninth June ninth through the fifteenth. Sorry, Matt. Uh, that's that's when it is. It's in Las Vegas this year. It was in Orlando last year, so it's back there. And uh, if you don't go to the conference, but just the exhibit, that's the thirteenth, which is that Wednesday through the fifteenth. Yeah. So. Uh, go to Infocom. Is it Infocomshow dot com? Uh, Infocomshow dot org. Uh, you can get all the information. There's a uh, registration tab. The registration just opened like uh, a week or so ago, yeah. so it's it's just starting out. If, uh, if you need a VIP code so you can get free access to everything, just uh, get in touch. Okay. Uh, he is Brad Grimes, and, and before that, he was uh, also at Pro AV. So his Twitter is at Grimes Pro AV. Thank you so much, sir. No problem. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, the other gentleman on the line is Matt Scott. He is the owner-operator of Omega <laughs> Audio Video. I'm going to make that stick. From yes, you are. London, Thanks. Ontario. The wasteland of content, but they have a Buffalo Wild Wings. So, <laughs> uh, His blog is, is it Matt D. Scott? Yes, MattDScott.com Matt is D. my Scott. personal blog. OmegaAudioVideo.com is the company blog. Um, I also do some writing for Raven for uh, SCN. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe even for, you know, AV Nation one of these days. We have to have a blog, though, and <laughs> you know what? I don't blog, obviously. Uh, on Twitter, he's at Omega Audio Video or at Matt D. Scott. Thank you so much, my Canadian friend. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's been uh, fun. Yes, it has. Uh, I'm Tom Albright. If you want to get a hold of me or follow me or do whatever, you, if you'd like to do the Twitter thing, it's at TD Albright, Tim David Albright on Twitter. But more importantly for me, and for all the guys at AV Nation, uh, check out the new portal on Rave uh, Pubs. It's ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation, ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. That's where you'll find this show, uh, the daily show we do with Gary K called The Daily Rave, and all of our monthlies, including EdTech, uh, the social AV, uh, um, sorry, AV social DIY show, and more. Uh, here in the next month, we actually will have two brand new uh, shows that my voice will not be on in any way, shape, or form. So that's an exciting thing. Um, uh, our buddy George Tucker is, is cranking out another one about, about live staging. And the other one is a top secret that will be released in about two weeks. But it's really freaking cool. So uh, that's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>